um, join with me. I'm going to read our passage for today. Um, it comes from Acts 2, 14, and then 22 through 47. It's in your bulletins. starting with verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know this Jesus, delivered up according to to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and ki- you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I, am, I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on this throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from him, having received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness, and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple gathered and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. What? Oh, I didn't look ahead. Sorry. 
This is the word of the Lord, and there's more word of the Lord. Uh, Now the full members of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving to their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, it was when I wrote this sermon series a while ago, um, like where the map of it that we were going to be going, it was not because we had people joining today. So this is the Lord's work as we had church uh, membership joining day today that the Lord would have us be in this part of Acts today. So I urge you to listen, and um, you've got a visual. You had something happen today. Now hear what the Word of God has to say about what happened even today. As we continue in the beginnings of our sermon series in the book of Acts, last week we saw how Jesus sent out his disciples and followers before ascending. And ascending means that he flew up bodily into heaven and was caught up in the clouds. And as promised, he sent the Holy Spirit. That's God, the Holy Spirit, to fill them and be with them. And what immediately follows this truly charismatic event of the Holy Spirit is a sermon. The first gospel sermon preached by the apostle Peter. I want you to envision so you can understand how this looks. The the area right before you go into a football game like at Panther Stadium or that mall area before you go into the main part of the Bobcats arena, right before people funnel in to get their to give their tickets and go through those things and and better yet envision a field of tailgaters before a game. Well, Peter stands up in that kind of area, the temple court area, the area right outside the main worship center of the temple in Jerusalem and preaches this sermon that we have read and that we'll come back to more in the end. But out of that sermon, the Bible says something happened. Something was birthed that 3,000 people were baptized and believed in Jesus. And then what? That these believers together became a noun, a people, a place, a thing. That people came together in places to to do some things. That day the church became a noun and to this day continues to be a noun. People in places doing things for and from God. And that is where for many in our modern and postmodern age decide it's time to get tense and cautious and defensive. Because Christianity, we have been taught wrongly, is foundationally a personal relationship with God. That it is kind of free, like the spirit. It is a verb and an adjective, but definitely not a thing, a noun. I remember being a kid in the neighborhood, 
with mainly military officer families. My dad wasn't in the military professionally at that time. But across the street, there was an Air Force fighter pilot, a submarine commander down the street, an ex-over aircraft carrier in the cul-de-sac down the way. But we would play a lot of military games with our fake rifles jumping into ditches that became our bunkers. It was lots of fun back then. We even had a fort back in the woods near the marsh. We had chairs and a table that we got from some junk on the side of the road. It was all fun. Just doing and being and jumping in the ditch. We'd say, hit the deck, jump into the ditch. And then someone, the oldest decided to make us and it a thing. Giving us ranks and duties. He's the one whose dad was the head of the submarine, right? And even talking about dues, taxes, and meetings. I was a sergeant. He told me what my duties were. And I had to do a test to see how fast I could climb a tree or something like that. Wait a minute. Why did I get the tree climb? Okay, anyway, let, let me move on. And it was fun for about two days, and then it fun was over. We have this innate fear of institution, of our Christianity becoming a thing and us losing our freedom and joy in it. Because we don't trust people. We don't trust things and places and things that involve stuff like obedience and submission and accountability and having to do things or, or be something. But for good reason. I'm with you. People abuse. Places hide stuff and things inevitably become cold. But we see here, but what we see here is that the noun of the church was the natural and supernatural and good outworking of the Holy Spirit's work. That church, by God's design, from the very beginning was about three things, and I was able to make it three C's. I love when that happens. Contract, contact, and content. Contract, contact, and content. Look with me at verses 41 through 47 again. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls, chapter 2, that is. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved and then the passage in chapter 4 now wait I got the wrong scripture here okay and then the passage in chapter 4 and with great power, verse 33, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, excuse me, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The sign of Christianity as one who had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and then filled with the Holy Spirit was contract. Submission and commitment to the faith 
and submission and commitment to the faithful, to others. In the Greek world, there, there's four distinctive ways, and they lived in the Greek world back then, that said you were committed or vowed or contracted to submission. Number one, who your benefactor was. That is the rich person or people who provided what you needed and who you possibly worked for, or who you as the benefactor were caring for, as the one who gave the stuff. And then the number two sign of commitment, if you received help and had a benefactor, sometimes you received a mark, a piercing, a tattoo. Sometimes for some people, uh, a sex change. Yeah, it happened back then. Permanent marks. Or secondly, or, or thirdly, commitment in the Greek world was determined by whose school you were in. Which philosopher you listened to or followed. It's like us dropping which college or high school you went to. Lots of people talking about, I went to North Carolina or I went to Kansas right now. Or Louisville, right? Who's the fourth one? We don't know yet, right? People just dropping names. And finally, commitment and submission was determined by who you ate with. It was huge. And on top of that, whose house you were eating in, like a club thing back then that that told class and cloud and association, it declared who and what you were committed to. It's those contracted by God through the blood of Jesus to be his. God's people back then automatically in Greek style, style vowed to God and each other. They committed to the faith by giving their stuff as the Bible says, to the leaders and following their teaching as its students by breaking, the Bible says, the bread and the prayers. And with the in front of it, they did the ceremony of belonging to each other to a fellowship. Then they bore a common mark on them with baptism. It's a visible contract, a, a commitment, a contract marked by something outward like a signed piece of paper paper but the paper was your body with water and then to share your stuff with each other no one claimed their stuff as their own the bible says but the giving of stuff and houses and and property stuff look y'all that was a contract it was a vow it was a commitment to each other and to the institution that was coming to build it and sustain it it was given to the leaders of the group to the apostles to the teachers the society around them would be able to perceive and see that as commitment, not only to the institution, but to the Lord Jesus, the great benefactor, the Lord God and philosopher of the institution. And then like the Greeks would do eating and being with each other under the teaching together. The word for devoted in verse 42 means to attend regularly. In houses, like going to church on Sunday, they were telling the world they were a club, a new club on the block, that they were, they had joined a movement, a a social, philosophical, or spiritual organization, that they were submitting their identity and lives to it. But be careful. This was the move and work of the Holy Spirit to create something out of nothing to make a noun of the verb of what God was doing in the hearts of people. Where is church institution and membership in the Bible? I get this all the time. Pastor, ain't nothing about church membership in the Bible. We just went through it as clear as day, isn't it? In fact, 
what they did back then was more contractual and vow-like than we had than we did today because even those who join the church today will not have the scrutiny or publicly be seen as as seriously as they would have been back then for being with the apostles of Jesus and under their teaching and at their ceremonies and such it is not christian to not be in a church to vow to not vow to to not be in a house a church if you will it is not christian to not be at a table the lord's supper here is the breaking of bread i believe that you can come to regularly it is not correct to not lay your life before the feet of the church's authority at some church somewhere now that authority is only derivative which means it is not about the people and their power themselves but about what god wants to do through them to give you And I admit something. That kind of stuff is scary and been abused. And let me say as a pastor who has been on both ends of the spiritual and institutional abuse, I am sorry. I hate the way we and others and Satan getting into it all have made church membership and submission and joining a real burden. I was talking to somebody this week about this. I don't blame you for being in charge of your own individual open relationship, hook up sometimes faith with the faithful, because so many relationships with God have been hurt and held back in the church. You know, we have this term now. Who are you reaching? We're reaching the unchurched people and the de-churched people. That's a term, de-churched. Because you came to church... And you felt rejected. You had some mess go on. I don't blame you for thinking heaven, yes, but church, hell no. Not going to do it. So though scary, I must still encourage you. God tells me to. I work for him. I'm sorry I don't work for you. I'm here to serve you. The Bible's teaching that it is not just your obligation, but freedom, your right, your privilege as one who takes the mark in the name of Jesus Christ to vow for it in a place of care and worship. And there are many places of care and worship. We are only but one. Don't let this privilege and honor This glory that Jesus died and rose for and the Holy Spirit came to give you and me pass you by. This contract is God's gift to you. But the contract of your faith is not just to get a plaque on the wall, a membership certificate. No, it is a contract that leads to and calls for necessary contact, which means being in a common place as a common People. One word that shows up in both readings here is the word common. Look at verse 44 in chapter 2. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Then our verse 
chapter 4 in verse 32, that the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Is this a communist manifesto? No. Is this touting for socialism in some way? Not necessarily. What's it mean by common? What's the word common, koine, koinonia mean? Of course, it means common, right? We already, we already covered that. But it also means something strange. It means unholy. It means ceremonially unclean. It means vulgar. It means defiled. So we could read it this way. They had all things unholy and defiled between them. No, uh, this is not some hidden message for us of some drunken, getting high orgy or something like that. A better understanding would be unrestricted. No levels of entry. No VIP section. That Christianity is an ungated community for those who accept Christ. That God's people would have relationships that would not restrict any who believed in Jesus and for those who would want to believe in Jesus to come regardless of money, age, nationality, or former religion or class or ethnicity. That the faith was one in which the place and people and stuff of the people were made accessible for all together. There wasn't anything holy in the sense that there was nothing untouchable for some and for others it wasn't. Something revolutionary was going on. I talked about this yesterday at our learning community on worship. And we're going to do another learning community on worship. It was incredible. I think we need to talk about what goes on in here on Sunday morning so you can appreciate and really join in better. We'll talk about that later. But you know in some Greek parties they'd have things at people's homes I was telling the group this yesterday. And they would have this table with food. And you would be invited by this benefactor. It was like, you know, a social event that kind of marks you as being somebody special. It was not common. In other words, you had to be special to get in. You had to be special to eat at the table. And what's funny is sometimes they had levels of entry. So some people would come, sit at the table and eat, and they had a ticket level. Get this. They had an access level in these Greek homes where you could come and watch other people eat. So they did it. So when he says they came into the house and they ate and they had everything in common, it was revolutionary. You mean to tell me I'm not as rich as this guy? Well, this guy works for Caesar's office, and I work down him making shoes or whatever, and we're going to sit at the same table. We're going to have all things in common. I'm not going to sit and watch him eat, or he watch me eat. And, I, and sometimes people would enter just to get the scraps that were left over. All things in common. Let me say this. Having a gathering in the same place or places matters as it brings and holds people to do the things of the faith together. And that place means that it is common, it is accessible, that there are no private worship places. It is all about doing the faith together in the same room, touching and smelling and seeing and being all close to each other. In my childhood church, Mount Zion AME in Charleston, at the Lord's Supper, Charleston, South Carolina, we got some West Virginians in here. 
I don't like West Virginians. Still sore, still sore. We would sing this song. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. Right? And there's this line in the song that goes, there's a sweet expression on each face because you have been in this place with the spirit. Now, I know us cynical generations like to be sweet expressions. Who cares? That's not important to have a sweet expression. What is important is keeping it real, man. If you come to church, be angry if you're angry. But don't throw the baby out with the corny bathwater, right? Because it at least means that your face is seen, right? Because you are in a place to be seen, to be known, to be checked upon, to be faced by others, to face God with others, to see others and others see you watching God and knowing that God has shined his face on you. I'm not going to do a soapbox against technology. I'm not that kind of person. But digital church, just digital virtual churching, that is, I believe is forbidden by Scripture. There there is no way you can do the the things as a believer that you are free to do virtually. Because Christianity is not a virtual faith. It's not virtual. Christianity is a sensual faith. It's about bread. It's about touching. It's about praying. It's about talking. It's about wind and air and breathing. Being a Christian and being and enjoying or being a part of a church is like having, being a Christian and rather not being in, enjoying, or being a part of church is like having a friend with benefits but no brides or grooms. Or being married and not sleeping together. Pick your poison. And so sure, the virtual and digital can be tools to keep us connected and attending and going, but it calls for us to be together in one place to have a room or or space to exercise the contract of faith as the faithful. Again, that word for devoted in verse 42 means attended the apostles' teaching. So you have these accessible gatherings, but not just a free-for-all party, right? So, for example, if I have a party at my house, have some food, it is a common place. Okay? We don't have a back door for you to come in. You know, ain't no, hey, you, you, you got to go around back, man. Ain't nothing, we're not doing that. Go in the gate, you know. We don't do that. Common. We don't have to, you don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to do the right sign to get in. But if you come in, you will be called to a common and an unexclusive offering of what I serve. A common meal of red, white, shelled meats and barbecue sauce, right? And music that I have chosen to play on my iPod. But you are commonly welcome. I want to make clear what common means. I say that because common doesn't mean that it was a place that people could come and do what they wanted. That would be exclusive. Church is not about a bunch of personal encounters with God together. It's more transcendent than that. 
It is about being in the same place to have an, an encounter with the same common things. Not, not, not breads, plural, or prayers, plural, but the Bible says the bread and the prayers and the teachings and the offerings and the worship. You know, sometimes in our churches we go through this, I'm not being cared for. You know what? You must come to a common place and places of care. We have session meeting. I told y'all y'all could come and be prayed for and talk to. Nobody ever shows up. But I'm not being cared for. Huh? There, There are no your way or your place an interval plan of being spiritually cared for. There isn't. They say McDonald's, whatever, Hardee's, whatever, have it your way. It ain't Burger King, it ain't that. You know, it's common. Common has a bad twist on our Americanism, right? Because we like to go to the screen, and they got it all picked up. Back in the day, we didn't have give me a number one or number two or number three. You had to make your own meal, right? You come to church, there's number one. That's it. Ain't no supersize. Ain't no small fries. It's number one. Right? Word, sacrament, discipline. And different churches do it different ways to administer those same things different ways and have different ways of caring for people. And at Christ Central, we have a common way of caring for you. I think we do an okay job. But so many people just floating out there. When is the special ship going to come get me? There ain't no special ship. I ordered a number three, Pastor Brown, and... This church has a number one. Well, you need to go to the church with the number three. There's a lot of pressure on elders to do things that God has not called them to do. There's a lot of pressure on churches to be things that God has not called them to be. And so you get these huge, giant, monster places where you can pick one, two, three, four, five. There are no individual plans here. We treat you like individuals who are called to a common hope. Christ. There's no special in crowd of care at this church. No, there ain't. And you know, as a, as, a, as a session, we are trying harder. We are right now in the middle of working for ways to find more common and what I mean by common, accessible ways for you to be cared for. Because if it was all specialized, more people wouldn't be cared for. Because we'd have to do it your way. All right, enough of that. It is not primarily about us pursuing you. It is about the church providing a place for you to end your pursuit of hope and help from God. It's backwards, ain't it? That is what makes Christianity common. Everyone can come to the worship and the Lord, a common people. Not the priest only, not the real put together, not those who know it all, not the ones who are ready to shout and praise the Lord. Not the ones who know God so well, they don't need to shout and raise hands. Not just the ones who are charismatic acting. Not for those who are the composed frozen chosen. But a place, a house, if you will, a house of worship among many in this city of Charlotte that all types of believers and all levels of faith and all cultural backgrounds with all kinds of baggage can come to something common and bring all they are and aren't to something common. 
The Bible says in chapter 4 and chapter 2, they brought what they had. And that was the church. I'm sure some people didn't have nothing to bring. They came to get at certain times. Even in the Old Testament, they had levels of sacrifice. They had, some people could bring a big bull. Some people had to bring a dove. But the people brought what they had and what they did not have. No one is awesome and a better worshiper or a better church member. They gave who they were and weren't, and they brought their lack and gain for a common purpose of growth together. I mean, let me let you know, this is a real exercise of faith in our church especially. I look around this room, y'all come from all kinds of places, all kinds of beliefs. It's mixed up in here. I want to just tell y'all the way it is more. So we could just have one thing the way I want it. I mean, as a pastor, I hear it from both sides when it comes to worship styles and a way to discipline, disciple people and what the building should look like and all this stuff and what the music should sound like and whether it is too loud or too soft or if there's enough teaching. Those are common concerns, but they are often individualistic. Bring it and lay it down for all. That means giving up your desires and concerns and ways and what is valuable to you for the sake of the common cause. It means not glaring at the person who's loud. It means not in your heart thinking every week, same thing. It means not judging the people who have their arms crossed like I am in the back. That's why I sit in the back. I don't want y'all judging me. It means to worship without hating how others are or aren't praising God. To come and not hate how others are or aren't dressed. Now we will get into some of this dealing with things and not allowing certain things later in Acts. They will talk to, hey, let's allow this and not allow this. But church is about focusing on common things. The word, the sacraments, the baptism, the Lord's Supper, and giving and praising God in it. And you know what a common heart and a place look like? Look at verse 46 in chapter 2. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with what? Glad and generous hearts. Not critical and angry hearts. Not judgmental hearts. And it said what? 47. Praising God. And having favor, this was the result of commonness. Worship. But look what happens when we bring all that junk and have all things in common. And in verse 43. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done by, by done through the apostles verse 47 again, praising God and having favor with all people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The God is doing some incredible things in people's lives that are not just theirs, but there to share with everyone in the body, in the fellowship. God is at work in so many people up in here, so many miracles and awesome things have and are happening, and some of you don't even know about them. 
And, you know, what has happened to you is a miracle from God, but you have not shared it to be testified and declared one. And some of you can't praise or thank God or be generous because you are not aware of the miracles and awesome things God is doing. And you are living in a dead faith because you are living alone. You know, people ask, Lord, Pastor Brown, why is my faith so dry? Why is it like the Old and New Testament when miracles happen? And people's lives were changed. Because oftentimes your faith is only alive as our faith. And if you're alone, you don't see awesome miracles and God's miraculous work. If you are not up in here and sharing and testifying and hear the testimonies in church and in homes of what God has done, your faith is incomplete. A common phrase popular in some churches. What God has for you is for you. What God has for me is a song. It is for me. Wrong. Biblically short-sighted, theologically incorrect. I said it. What God has for you is for me too. And what God has for me is for we. That's the way it works. They threw everything. They had all things in common. Your story is not yours. Oh, the Lord blessed me because I was faithful. No, the Lord blessed you because he is faithful to us. I like this term. We's rich when you get rich. Don't be selfish with your story. You know why? It is ultimately not just yours. Bring it and lay it before the church. It is ours. It is the Lord's for us. But ultimately for what? The gospel content. That church is a place that God is at work through the message and in the mayhem. The whole thing started how when Peter gets up and preaches this gospel sermon. It is the preaching through the power of the Holy Spirit that people became the church. It almost reminds me of how the world was created out of nothing. That the very words of God saying it shall be and it became and it was. Peter preached to a bunch of folk at a giant tailgate and 3,000 people got saved and baptized and joined and created by joining this new thing called the church a noun out of nothing. By the preaching and hearing of the word of God changed by the Holy Spirit. But not just any old sermon, because this is very important. Now, I can't go through it all, but Peter says this in verses 22 through 24. I want you to see this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You did. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Then he talks about some New Test- Old Testament stuff to kind of get their attention and draw them in because these are Jews. Then verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 41. So those who received this word were baptized and they were added to that that day about 3,000 souls. The Bible says they were cut to the heart. 
they were floored inside. They were knocked off their proverbial feet. They got hooked. They were fit to be tied. Why? Because they basically said that you turned your back on God. You crucified Jesus. You mistreated and ignored him. But he died and has risen and has come anyway to save you from your sins. That you are sinners before God rejecting him. But he has been good and gracious and generous to you. Peter is saying not what Jesus said as one commentator put it. But rather what Jesus did for them. That he saved their souls from hell and apathy. And now it makes sense why the church became a noun. Because it is, a, it is the predicated reality of Jesus' subjective salvation. In other words, it's because God contracted a saving relationship between us and him by Jesus' shed blood. That's why we have contact with God. That God kicked Jesus out of communion with God. Jesus was excommunicated. He was rejected by God as one bearing our sins so that you and I could have communion with God. And that God is in doing so was, was generous that he didn't have to save us from our pain and sorrow and blindness. He is calling and letting the common, that's me and you, the defiled the unholy, the nothing specials, to have a relationship with the most high God. To be able, through the common place, as a common people, we're through the common practice, God will meet us and face us and we will see him and touch us and he will reach us and he will speak to us and he's addressed and will address us. This is about what Jesus has done for you. This gospel This content of this church is not about what you can do for God. That is not what church is about. Don't be fooled. But about recognizing and responding through contract and content. And the content of that, what is said and sung and done, what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. That's what we're doing here. This is what the Lord's Supper means. This is what the singing means. This is what the preaching means. This is what this whole thing means. We're not asking anything of you that the Lord himself won't get out of you. This is about proclaiming and you seeing clearly God has some incredible things, all kind of grace, all kind of mercy, all kind of blessings, all kind of forgiveness, all kind of healing, all kind of miracles for you. Jesus was kicked out of temples and synagogues. Jesus was kicked out of church. So you could be in one. And you don't want to be in one? The Lord died on the cross? So you could receive the benefits he alone deserved? Which is his church? When we had membership joining today, that was part of that gospel mayhem. The Bible says, who added to the number in verse 47? The Lord added to the number. What happened this morning was a miracle. We don't celebrate joining day enough. That is a miracle when people stand up here and say, I want to vow. 
I want to be a part. These are people who've been cut to the heart by the word of God and the Holy Spirit's come in and done something. Let me tell you something. If you were part of the interviews of some of the elders and I were, you would be like, how in the world does that person want to be in church? There are people who rightly shouldn't want to be a part of this thing. There are people in their stories who rightly don't have, I mean, have a reason to believe Jesus has nothing for them but sorrow and pain and distrust and abuse. And they stood up here by the power of the Holy Spirit. Gospel mayhem. God is a spinning vortex, a tempest of love and grace, a tornado of power, drawing and stirring and moving all things and people coming up together as he is praised. I urge you not to let go and walk away from what Jesus died to give you. by the contract in his blood, by his coming and contacting us as fallen humans and leaving the content of his grace to save us.